Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to January 2024 Q&A episode with myself. Um, That is if you're listening in January 2024, if you're not, disregard. But if you are, welcome to the new year and today's cute little episode is with yours truly. I'm answering a couple or quite a few questions actually you guys sent through to me over Instagram. So we'll dive right in. But just before we kick off, special shout out to our wonderful sponsor Garmin, who this episode today is brought to you by. So the Venue 3S is Garmin's all new hybrid smartwatch that is the perfect blend of function and style and I wear mine every single day. It's purpose built with advanced health and fitness features and the ability to make calls and send texts from your wrist. The Venue 3S is more than just a fitness smartwatch. It's your personal on-wrist coach there to support your every goal. You can find out more from garmin.com.au or you can send me a DM and I would be happy to answer any of your questions about Garmin's new watches. All right, guys, to kick us off on our Q&A today, the first question from a lovely listener, follower, either or, is how important is it to avoid sugar at breakfast? So I think the first thing, like many things in nutrition, nutrition is not black and white. It's very hard being a dietitian where I specialize in many areas and I have clients with many different goals. It's very difficult to say yes or no to a lot of things. So I would say that if you're thinking about avoiding sugar in breakfast, it depends on what your goals are. Is your goal to lose weight? Is it to maintain weight? Is it to potentially build weight or gain weight or gain muscle? And then what does your diet look like for the rest of the day? If you like to have a bit of sugar in your breakfast, then the rest of your diet is literally just like clean whole food based nutrition, there's no snacking, there's no sweets, there's no dessert, um, there's minimal alcohol, then yeah, I don't really see a problem with sugar in the de- in the breakfast. But if your breakfast has a bit of sugar in it, then you have a couple of biscuits for morning tea or a pastry, then you have some lunch and you always need something sweet after lunch. And then you have some afternoon snacks and there's a bit of a chocolate bar there. You add sugar to your coffees and teas each day. Then you have dinner and you always need dessert after dinner. I would say that you're probably better off avoiding or reducing it at breakfast time. Now, if you're going to eat it, I would say my golden rule for my clients is to make sure that you tend, you try to reduce the blood sugar spike. So you're adding a bit of protein and fats and fiber to that meal. And when I say things like proteins, fats, and fibers, I'm thinking things like a bit of protein powder or Greek yogurt, some nuts and some seeds, because the fat and the fiber and the protein in these ingredients help to reduce the quick absorption of the sugar in the carbohydrates and can tend to keep your blood sugar levels a little a bit more stable and help to reduce some of the cravings later on. So as long as you're not sitting down to like, I don't know, a bowl of cocoa pops and that's it by itself. If you want to eat something like that, I'm certainly not recommending it, but if that's what you love, you know, have a little bit of say Greek yogurt or protein powder on the side for a bit of a protein boost, add some full fat milk to it. So you're getting a bit of fat in there as well. Add a couple of nuts, like chop up some almonds and add them to the bowl. And then add a little bit of fruit for some extra sort of fiber on the side as well. Some berries through that as well. 
Because when you pair your more simple sugars with other types of macronutrients, it's a much better balance for that meal. But I would say in my experience, the more sugar you tend to eat, the more sugar you tend to crave. So I generally limit normal sugar in breakfast, particularly if I'm looking at something like a cereal or a muesli, I would ideally like for the majority of my clients less than five grams of sugar per serving. I'm not a purist. I don't expect them to make it from scratch. I'm happy for them to go to the you know supermarket, buy some cereal, buy some muesli, but I am kind of conscious of that sugar level per serving, um, which I do like to be under five grams. And then as I said, I do tend to balance it out with things like some protein, some healthy fats and some fiber. Um, but I do like to, well, a lot of my clients like a sweet sweeter breakfast, but it doesn't necessarily have to have a lot of sugar in it. So, you know, we'll use some natural fruit. We'll use a bit of tartar Greek yogurt to offset some of that extra sweetness, or we might use a protein yogurt with a sweetener in the base. So it tastes sweet, but it's not, you know, actual kind of sugar going in, if that makes sense. So it's kind of a loaded question, but I think if I had to give it a more clear answer, I would probably say reduced sugar at breakfast is, is more ideal. I appreciate that a lot of people don't like a savory breakfast and sometimes a savory breakfast like eggs on toast or that sort of thing can take a little bit longer in the morning and just whacking a bit of cereal in a bowl with some milk can be a lot faster for people that are time poor in the morning. But I think it's just about balancing it out and being careful to limit the added sugars at breakfast time and being conscious of how much more of it is going in through the day as well. All right, question two, I can't afford a dietitian, but I want to lose weight. Where should I start? So I think the first thing, if you couldn't see a dietitian, I would educate yourself to start with. So I think if you're already following me or you're listening to the podcast, well done, good start. Um, Have a little hunt around online for some fat loss specific dietitians who can give you some good free advice, whether it's on some YouTube videos, some podcasts. And then what I would do is take an honest food diary for about four to five days. And what you want to do is kind of look at a good day and kind of look at a bad day, right? And assess that food diary and think, what is the lowest hanging fruit? And what I mean by that is what is one of the easiest things to either stop doing or start doing that I'm not doing or I'm doing too much of within that kind of four to five day diet history. And if it's like I'm having soft drink every single day, that's a really easy thing to kind of stop or swap it with like a, you know, more natural sweetener based alternative. If you're having sugars in your coffees, you can cut that down or cut that out. If you're having a ton of milk every day and it's full cream milk, perhaps you might consider swapping to skim milk. If you're having lunch each day and it's just like a chicken, a cheese and ham, you know, sandwich or a sambo or whatever Aussie call it, sambo sandwich, um, add some salad to that, or maybe, you know, try it in a wrap with some extra salad and a little bit of extra protein in there too. Cause one or two slices of ham for most people generally isn't enough protein. I don't love ham as a protein source either. That's a whole nother story, but, um, yeah, aim for 20 grams of proteins in your meal. Try to hit two to three cups of veggies and salad pretty much every day at lunch and dinner. I appreciate we don't need to be perfect in this journey, but most days as a non-negotiable, you should be getting two to three cups of veggies or salad on your plate. And then when you're looking at that diary, I would just kind of tweak things. So there's a little concept called calorie shaving, which I kind of like. And when the goal is weight loss, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to cut everything out, but look for areas where you can shave off a few calories. If you love pasta and you generally give yourself a huge bowl of pasta for dinner, why not give yourself I don't know, 20, 30% smaller serve and bulk that up with a big, I don't know, side serve of broccolini or, um, you know, a, a huge thing of rocket and some, you know, something else on the side. So just shave off some extra calories. If you're used to having three squares of chocolate after dinner, shave that down to just sorry, three rows of chocolate after dinner, shave that down to say two rows of chocolate after dinner. If you're used to having um, 
two teaspoons of sugar in every coffee each day, maybe shave that down to two or just one. So try to shave off some of your calories during the week can sometimes be an easier strategy to manage than completely stopping or completely giving things up altogether. Question three, how often is it okay to do a calorie deficit without doing any damage to your metabolism? Well, again, I feel like this is a loaded question. Like it's going to be a different response for every person, but I would say for the average person, maybe a couple of times a year, but I would also say, ask yourself, why do you need to keep doing calorie deficits? So I appreciate if you are living in a larger body and you have a larger amount of weight to lose, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 plus kilos, then you may need to continuously do deficits and, you know, kind of go in five, 10, 15 kilo losses, then maintain, then hit the deficit again, then maintain. I appreciate that. But if you're someone who continuously loses and regains the five, the same five to 10 kilos every couple of months or a couple of times a year, what you're doing to get it off clearly isn't sustainable long-term. So I think you need to find another way. So I would say a couple of times a year, but you need to appreciate that the first time you do a deficit, the body responds to it the best. The first few times are the easiest. And then over time, it becomes harder and harder and harder. And for my coaching service, I have what's called like an intake form where I get people to tell me a little bit about themselves. And the amount of times that I would have had Hundreds, if not thousands of ladies tell me the things that I used to do to lose the weight no longer work anymore. Because the more you try to lose it and you regain it, lose it, regain it, lose it, regain it, you are doing sort of like metabolic damage longer term and your body just stops responding to the things that you used to do and they're no longer working. So I would just take a step back and say, why do you need to continuously do calorie deficits? I think you need to work with a professional and come up with a more sustainable approach that you can kind of maintain forever. And maybe if you go away on this fabulous holiday, you're only kind of one, two kilos up instead of regaining, you know, five, 10 kilos after you do an eight week challenge or you go away on a fabulous holiday and you're up three, four, five kilos or like many people across December, you've regained three, four, five kilos because you went crazy in December and now you felt you need to restart a diet in January. So I think it's our all or nothing approach to nutrition that most people struggle with versus being in and out of a calorie deficit. I just think we need to use them as minimally as possible. We can do a couple of cycles of them a year, but I probably wouldn't be recommending people stay in deficits for longer than about three or four months. Or if you're plateauing and you're not getting results, get out of the deficit. It's not doing your your body or your metabolism any good. So there's no point hanging around in a calorie deficit if you're not actually getting the results that you want. Now, question four is what are the essential things that you discuss with your patients during their visit? So how I used to work when I used to work at the hospital for about five, five, six years. I don't even know how long it was. It was about five or six years ago that I worked there for five or six years. It's a bit confusing. Anyway, when I used to work at the hospital, it was very, very different because I might see eight to 10 patients. We call them patients, not clients, every single day. And some days I'd only get 20 minutes for a review or 30 minutes for an initial consultation. So I'd barely learn their name, give them two or three tips, and they'd be out the door and they'd be back four, six, eight, 12 weeks later, depending on what my wait list was like. So that's why I didn't love working within the hospital system because I wasn't really seeing long-term changes. People would fall off the wagon, they'd come back two, three months later. They're like, oh, I kind of did what you said for a little bit. And then like my dog got sick, I got really busy. I fell off the wagon and went back at square one. So we'd be seeing these people for like years and just going round and round in circles and not really making any difference. So what I do at the moment, I don't offer single consultations. I only work within a 12-week coaching 
coaching service. So across the 12 weeks or particularly in the beginning, and I work on Zoom as well. So people don't come in to see me during a visit. They, you know, they work with me online. Basically, we go through things like you know, their medical history and their background, their, um, you know, recent blood tests that they might've had, their relationship with food. What are their hunger cues like? Do they wake up and just eat or do they wait till they're hungry? How do they fuel their workouts? What sort of workouts do they do? What's the incidental activity like? Do they sit down all day? Who cooks and preps the food in their house? What are their portions like? Do they have any food intolerances? Do they have really strong preferences? Do they not eat red meat? Are they vegetarian or vegan? Do they think that dairy reacts poorly to them? Do they have, um, you know, a thing, a tolerance to spicy food where they don't like spicy foods at all? Does onion and garlic upset their stomach? Those sorts of things. I'm asking those sorts of questions. I also want to know what their goals are. Um, you know, what the things they've tried in the past, like what worked, what didn't. Um, I'd like to know portion sizes, what they're currently eating, uh, what they do with their exercise. Do they eat before they go? Do they train faster? Do they train in the afternoon? Do they have dinner? Then they go exercise. What time of day they exercise? Um, how much accountability and flexibility they'd like as part of the journey. And then as the weeks roll on, we then go through label reading, menu reading, how to, you know, budget meals out, takeaway into their week, alcohol. We talk about emotional eating. We dive deeper into things like hormones, the science behind fat loss, non-hungry eating, how to build a balanced meal. Um, you know, we talk about gut health, we talk about symptoms. So obviously this isn't in the one session. This is across a three-month or a 12-week program, but that kind of gives you the idea of the things that I talk about with my clients because I'm aiming to build, I'm aiming to give them all of the knowledge that they need in a 12-week program so they're able to kind of lean on that knowledge forever but also have that confidence to be able to adapt and tweak their plan if things change like touch wood, they get an injury and they can't exercise for six weeks. How do they edit their nutrition? Or say, for example, um, they might work with me in their you know, late 20s and then a couple of years later, they might get pregnant. How do they edit their plan so that they can you know, prep for fertility and then support a healthy pregnancy? So we actually can cover a lot within those 12 weeks is what I love so much more than just single consultation. So there's some of the essential things that I would talk about with my patients, but it's all about how do we build a personalized plan for my client that's going to work for them long-term, that they're going to enjoy, and that they're actually going to be able to stick to longer term as well. Alrighty, question five, what foods contain plant sterols? So to back it up a little bit, for those of you who haven't heard about plant sterols or don't know what they are, they're essentially cholesterol-like substances that occur naturally in foods, but in lower levels. So they're found in things like our fruits, our vegetables, our nuts, seeds, and cereals. So they're in very healthy foods, but they're not in huge amounts. Now there's evidence to show that when we eat between two to three grams of plant sterols every day, it can help to reduce our cholesterol, specifically our LDL, which is our quote-unquote bad cholesterol, our low-density lipoprotein cholesterol. So it's helping to positively reduce the cholesterol levels in our blood. Now, the research also shows that more than three grams doesn't actually impact our LDLs any further. So more is not better, but we have to be getting that, that smart dose of two to three grams a day. So if you're getting less than that, you're not going to get the clinical, clinical benefits of a 10% reduction in your cholesterol level. 
sterols. Now, foods that naturally contain plant sterols, like I just mentioned, are things like your cereals, like rolled oats, for example, whole grains, different types of fruits and vegetables, some vegetable oils, some nuts and some seeds. Now, as I said, it's contained in lower amounts. So unless you were eating truck tons of fruits and veggies and nuts and seeds and vegetable oils, and the majority of people, the average Australian wouldn't be able to get two to three grams of plant sterols through a naturally occurring diet. Our diets just aren't that great in Australia. Same deal with America and many parts of the world. So generally what we recommend as dietitians, if a client comes in and they have high cholesterol, you'll get a clinical benefit if you can um, add two to three grams of plant sterols a day, we should be able to actively reduce your cholesterol by about 10%. So that is a huge, like a huge number when we're talking about something serious like cholesterol. So we do recommend plant sterols quite a lot as dietitians. And there's a lot of fortified foods on the market that have this addition of two to three grams of plant sterols. There's margarines, um, you know, they've been alone for a long time. I don't love them because I don't want to add like two to three grams of plant sterols equates to about like a heap tablespoon of margarine. I don't want to add that into my client's side. It's not great, but there are other foods containing plant sterols, like some different types of cereals, some muesli bars. There's milks as well. If I've got clients that are coffee drinkers and they have milk in their coffee pretty much every day, I'll swap them to the plant sterile based milk, which is quite good. Um, I think there's also from memory, potentially even a bread, a new bread on the market and like an orange juice as well. But again, I wouldn't want to actively add orange juice into my client's diet because I don't think that that's a healthy whole food I want my clients eating every day. And this has to be daily. It has to be a regular intake. Um, and you have to be able to get that dose in. If, for example, the dose of milk, but that dose to give you two to three grams of plant sterols, if you can't drink that every day, there's no point drinking, just adding little dashes of that milk into one or two teas per the day. You have to actually drink the amount that's needed. So you have to be a milk drinker to go for something like the plant sterile milk. If you just add, you know, a little dash into one or two teas a day, you're not going to get that clinical benefit. You have to achieve that two to three grams per day. All right, question six, what do you do in the gym and what does your training look like now post kids? All right, so pre-pregnancy, I was easily walking 10,000 steps a day. I would pretty much go out for a walk if it wasn't in the morning, it would be in the afternoon after work or pre or post dinner. Hubby and I would just go out for a walk We used where we used to live, had um, a really nice I was going to say rainforest, that's the wrong word, like a reserve, like a really nice reserve. Um, and there was a big walk and I would easily, that walk would take us just over an hour and I would clock easily like six, seven, eight K steps within that kind of um, reserve. It was awesome where we used to live. And then on top of that, I would do four or five gym sessions a day. Like I didn't have kids, uh, you know, I had the time. It was great. I worked for myself. So some days if I had a spare hour in my day, I just nipped to the gym. It was great. It was quiet. I'd split up my training. I used to do two leg days a week and two upper body days. And then occasionally I'd do an extra hit session or a bit of sort of like triceps, abs, back, that kind of thing. So I had a program from an exercise physiologist. It was great. We rotated the program every kind of 12 to sort of 16 weeks. It was really good. I felt really lean and strong before I got married and before we had kids. And now post kids, gym is just not an option. Like the gym that we used to go to, um, and even the ones we've investigated around where we live, the crèche is from two years and above. So we couldn't go anywhere because a, I don't know, like Mia's not great in a crèche with other, if she can't see us and also Tilly's too little, like she's only five and a half months. So she wouldn't be able to go into a crèche anyway. And it's too inefficient for me to go for an hour and a bit to the gym, then come home and look after, and David look after the kids. Then David go, me look after the kids. And then he comes home. He takes an hour and a half to do what he, you know, had to train properly. Like he has a really big rest set. He goes quite heavy in his weights. You know, he's squatting well over 100 kilos. So it takes him a while to even build up to that rep as warm-ups to even get to what he needs. Then he'll do three, four, five sets at that, you know, 
weight that he wants to. So we both take, I can pretty much do my session an hour. I used to be at the gym. I do a 10 minute warm up, you know, a 40, 60 minute session, then a 10 minute kind of cool down. He'd be there longer than me. I used to just leave him there. I'd walk home and he'd still be training a lot of the times because he would train for a bit longer. He'd have more of a rest in between his sets. He'd go heavier, whereas I was doing a little bit lighter and sort of higher reps sometimes. That's just completely inefficient these days. Like it would take three hours out of our day if we were to train separately. So we have to go together. So at the moment, what's working well for us both is we're going to fit stop. So we tend to focus on the strength days. Um, and we also, I occasionally do a hit day. David hates cardio. He barely goes on those days. He'll watch the kids and I'll go. Um, but if I'm being honest, I probably on a good week, I get four gym sessions in on a bad week. I get one to two and my average step count these days is I'd say probably around 8,000 steps, whereas it was previously about 10 to 12. Um, so I would say between two small kids, working from home, running four businesses, the bulk of my postpartum fat loss, I'm nine kilos down now, it's been from controlling my nutrition. I don't have that luxury of being able to just be like, I'll go out for an hour walk. I'll go and do a double session today. Most people just kind of over-exercise the weight loss off or they just ramp up the exercise when they want to lose weight. I feel like when you have kids, you don't really have that luxury. And in our new house, like I could do home-based workouts, but if I'm being honest, like I just need to go and either have a program and have that dedicated time or have someone tell me what to do. I'm not great. Like I'll just put it off and put it off and self-sabotage myself. If it's like a training from home, like during COVID, I was so like, I didn't do well training from home myself. Like it wasn't great at all. Um, I'm just not a home. I don't enjoy home workouts, put it that way. It's just me. So they absolutely work and they're great for some people, but that's currently what my training looks like. I go to the gym, I rock up, there's music pumping, there's people, everyone's lovely there. They tell me what to do. I get in, I get out. The sessions are like 35 minutes and I'm done. And the creche is like on the gym floor. And sometimes Mia goes in it. Sometimes she doesn't. Sometimes David and I just pass her between us between reps. Like, I don't know. She's only two. Like she's, you know, she's a standard toddler. Sometimes she'll go in it. Sometimes she won't. Um, so sometimes I get half a workout in. Sometimes I get a full workout, but that's working for us at the moment. Cause when she's in the creche, she can see us. It's when she can't see us that she just kind of loses it. So if we had a gym where a creche was like on another level, I don't think that would work as well for so we're just we're doing what we we can at the moment um, and just making it work but I would love to get back into sort of proper strength training and have that time to really train heavy and build up my strength but I feel like for me it's probably a good two three years away so that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment it's working but obviously I'm really conscious of my nutrition on a daily basis to um, elicit fat loss myself We're interrupting this podcast to bring you a quick update from today's episode sponsor, Garmin. The Venue 3S is Garmin's latest hybrid smartwatch that is a perfect blend of function and style. Purpose-built with advanced health and fitness features and the ability to make calls and send texts, the Venue 3S is more than just a fitness smartwatch. It's your personal on-risk coach there to support your every goal. It gives you detailed health and wellness insights such as body battery energy monitoring, sleep coaching, a morning report, nap detection, stress tracking, a pulse ox sensor, women's health and pregnancy tracking, meditation, mindful breathing, and even a jet lag advisor. With 30 plus sports apps, animated workouts, and a Garmin coach, you can train purposely and effectively. The Venue 3S is built for how you move. It can track pushes and offers built-in workouts designed for wheelchair users. With up to 10 days of battery life in smartwatch mode, the Venue 3S fitness smartwatch is able to give you a more complete picture of your health. Head over to garmin.com.au to find out more. Now let's get back to our podcast episode. 
All right, question seven. What are your thoughts on dressings included in supermarket salad mixes? Ooh, this one's a goodie. I like this because there are many quote unquote holistic nutrition experts out there who are like, oh my God, so much sugar, so much fat. The ingredients are terrible. I'll be completely honest with you guys. I eat those, those dressings in the salad mixes because my personal view is if this the salad mix and the dressing is going to make you eat more salad, go for it. I'm all about eating more salad. 95% of Australians do not eat the required amount of vegetables and salad. So if you need the dressing, if you need the crispy noodles, if you need the, um, I don't know, coconut flakes and cranberries that go on top of the salad and the dressing to get it down and to make it easier for you to eat more salad, 100% go for it. Like I don't think it's really that bad in the grand scheme of things. Like I would... 100 times over for my client to get a roast chicken and a wrap and some pre-made salad mix and throw on the dressing onto that, then go through drive through McDonald's on the way home. Because both of those options take a couple of minutes to grab from the supermarket or by the time you wait in line at the Macca's line on a Friday night, because every time I drive past my local one, there's a huge line. And I'm like, I'd rather go wait in line at Woolworths and get something healthier. So it's not that bad. You've got to put things into context. Like people are so purist online, like all the talk about the toxic rolled oats and the rotisserie chickens are so bad for you. Like people aren't eating them six times a day. Like if occasionally that's what you need to get by and it helps you eat more salad at the end of the day, I'm all for that. I'm all for helping people to eat more salads and vegetables because the research shows us that they are so incredibly important for health. And if you need to add a bit of that dressing on to get it down, which I certainly do, it's too dry without it. Absolutely go for gold. If not, make your own. If you want to make your own salad dressing, add a little bit of extra virgin olive oil, Dijon, lemon juice, whatever you want to do, make your own. Absolutely fine. But if you also want to eat it, um, you know, you can totally do that too. Is it probably better if you make your own? Yeah, but I eat the ones in the packet because even though it probably only takes you a couple of minutes to make your own, some days I don't have a couple of minutes. I have two small children clinging off me. I have back-to-back client calls. I'm recording all of these free podcasts for you guys. I literally don't have a spare couple of minutes to whip up a salad dressing. So some days I'll make my own. Other days I'll eat the ones that are contained within the salad mixes. I think there's far worse things that you can do at the end of the day. Question eight. How to know which one of my Nourish Design by Dietitian protein powders is the right one for me? Awesome question. So on our website, Design by Dietitian, so I'll backstep a couple of steps. If you guys don't know, Susie and I launched our own protein powder range because we just basically got the SHITS because we couldn't find a really, really good protein powder on the market that was clean, that had great ingredients, that had the best quality whey in it, that didn't have artificial sweeteners in it, and it wasn't jacked with unnecessary stuff. Like a lot of protein powders have like coconut flour and chia seeds and all of this stuff in there or like coconut oil in there. Why do I need coconut oil and coconut flour in my protein powder? Like it's ridiculous. I want it for a protein boost. I don't need carbs and fats in there as well. So we were like, you know what? We're just going to make our own because we couldn't find one on the market that we love that we could hand at our heart, recommend to our clients day in and day out. So we made our own, Take us the, took us the better part of a year. It's finally live. The Nourish range has two ranges of protein in it. One is the women's protein and one is the protein with pre and probiotics. So on our website, which is designedbydietitians.com, there is an FAQ section on there. So we do sort of answer this question on the website. So then women's nourished protein 
what we did is we developed this protein for women, obviously, with conditions like PCOS, hormonal conditions, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, if you're in peri or menopause, if you have more than 10 kilos to lose. Those are really good criteria for who would be appropriate for the women's protein. Now, the nourish protein with pre and probiotics was my little baby that I sort of put together because of digestive health. And I know so many people struggle with that. I've had IBS and a sensitive tummy for many years. So start with that. If you've got a sensitive tummy, if you've got IBS, the pre and probiotic blend is great for you. If you're actively caring for your gut health, if you've got things like autoimmune conditions, because most autoimmune conditions are generally linked back to poor gut health at some stage in your life. If you're a busy mom, if you're an active individual, if you're just a healthy adult, the pre probiotic nourish protein will suit you. Um, now, both of the proteins are low lactose and both of them are certified gluten-free as well. We actually paid more to have them tested and have them certified gluten-free. for all. So all of our celiacs can rest assured that that is safe to consume as well. And a lot of people, again, if you've got a sensitive tummy, if you've really struggled with things like, you know, additives like insulin and chicory root, like I have into protein powders, and they just make you so bloated and give you gas and pain. Our protein powders do not have those things added. So our prebiotic added is acacia gum. It's shown in the research to be very gentle, a very gentle type of prebiotic fiber. And we've tested it on a lot of our clients as well. And it's been really, really well tolerated. It's not overly sweet as well, which is another feedback we had from so many clients. And it's really smooth. It mixes in really well to things like smoothies and overnight oats and that sort of thing. So I hope that that question helped you figure out which one was the right one for you. If you're sitting between kind of two classes, like if you're like, oh, I've I've got diabetes and I need to lose a bit of weight, but I also have a messed up gut, go with the women's blend. But if you're like, oh, I'm sort of 40, but I'm not really in peri yet. I've got to, you know, I want to lose about 10 kilos, but I also get bloated. I'm a bit constipated. Um, I'd probably go with the pre and probiotic blend to start with. And then when you sort of enter those pair of years, maybe swap over to the women's protein. So if you're not sure, send Susie and I uh, just a DM on Instagram or maybe an email, and hopefully we can help you out and guide you a little bit more. But thank you so much for your support. And as I said, both proteins are available on designbydietitians.com. And our next product, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to tell you guys, but I'll give you a sneaky little peek, sneak peek at the next product that we're developing um, is a healthy hot chocolate. So we wanted do one to help with sleep and we also want to do one to help with beauty as well and of course you guys know me they will be evidence-based and have really good clinical doses of products in there that have actually been shown by research and science to affect you know beauty and also sleep as well so we're very very excited for that as well so head to design by dietitians and check out our new business all right question nine to aim for a calorie deficit, how do I work out the basic calories I should eat? So there's a lot of online um, calculators that you can do this. Just Google, you know, calorie calculator. There will be a hundred that pop up for you. They're all much of a muchness. What I will say is most of these calculators are based on males and most of them over-exercise, uh, uh, sorry, overestimate exercise. So whatever it spits out as your calories, just be mindful that it kind of sometimes can tend to overestimate your calories. Same deal with a lot of fitness watches can tend to overestimate slightly your calories. So I think a better way is probably to pop on 
pop into something like my fitness pal or easy diet diary what you're currently eating on a good day and perhaps on like an off track day maybe do three days of the week and two days of the weekend and log that divide that by five days if you track five days divide it by five days and that'll kind of roughly tell you your maintenance calories then from there you want to shave off about three to five hundred calories so for fat loss we generally want to be eating about 15 to 20 percent less in order to elicit fat loss it's far easier to maintain and gain weight than it is to actually lose weight. But fat loss is a tricky thing. If you've been trying yourself, I would say for at least six to 12 months or more, and you haven't really been able to get long lasting results or more than just a couple of kilos off before you fall off the wagon, I absolutely would recommend booking in with an experienced fat loss dietitian as well. Or if you're aiming for a calorie deficit and you're hungry all the time, check out the episode I did with a dietitian called Paula Norris on volume eating on the podcast. I can't remember off the top of my head what number it was, but it was, it was within the last, I think six to 12 months. So it wasn't too far back. Just kind of scroll back a little bit and look for the episode on volume eating. That's an awesome podcast. If you're someone who's trying to lose weight, but you continuously struggle with hunger. All right, question 10. We've got 14 today, so we're, we're getting on. We're nearly there. Uh, question 10. Does your coaching program, Lean Gutman Method, cater for someone in early perimenopause? Absolutely. So Lean Gutman Method is my 12-week premium coaching program that I have. Uh, I launched, what, maybe five years ago when I left the hospital. It's going so well. We've helped hundreds of women. I'm so proud of it. And I'm so proud of it because we tailor and create a program for you. So if you've got peri, absolutely, we'll tailor it for you. If you're in menopause, if you're post-menopause, if you're in your 20s, we will tailor the program for you and create the program around your health, your goals, your lifestyle. So as an example, I onboarded a new client this week, guys. She's got what does she have? She's got type 2 diabetes, Crohn's disease, ADHD, and she's just hit the perimenopause years. She's just had some testing with her doctor who strongly believes that she's entering those peri years as well. Oh, and she also, there's a lot of vegetables she doesn't like, and she doesn't like fish and seafood. So she is going to need a very tailored and very specific program, A, for her preferences, B, for the stage of life she's at, and C, for some of her medical you know, history and background and conditions as well. So that's what we do. We've got the structure of the program, the things that we work towards. Of course, we'll be working towards fat loss because that's a big goal for her. Of course, we'll be working in improving her digestive health and her hormones as that's a big goal for her. And of course, we want to tackle a lot of that. It's not so much emotional eating for her, but it's stress and boredom related eating for her as well. So that's sort of what we do within the program. We really tailor and create a specific program for each person based on the goals, their lifestyle, what the home unit looks like, what their job and work looks like. Do they get regular lunch break? Do they like cooking dinner? Do they just want to pick up some reheat things from the supermarket or order some you know, meals online, that sort of thing? We really cater and tailor it for the individual. Question 11, is it okay to eat one meal a day and fast for the rest of the day? Oh, I'm going to say hard no, hard no. I don't think that an individual could get in enough nutrients that you need in just one meal for the day. Also protein. We have research to support that protein is better evenly distributed throughout the day. So although you might eat one meal a day and it's good for you, you're not hungry, you're losing weight, you might think that's good. I would say you would be hard pressed to get in your essential nutrients like calcium, omega-3, iron, fiber, just from one meal a day. And what you are losing, there'll also be some muscle mass loss in there as well. Because again, you're not getting enough protein throughout the day. So you might jump on the scale and you might think, oh, I've lost a couple of kilos. Cool. Some of that may be fat 
a fat loss, but I think a lot of that will probably be muscle mass and water weight as well, because you're just not able to eat enough protein. So the more muscle mass you lose, the slower and the worse your metabolism gets over time. So for me, I'm not very black and white on this podcast, but for this question, hard no for me, guys. Question 12, a first trimester, congratulations, overwhelmed with information. I feel you guys, even as a dietitian, like they don't really like pregnancy and fertility is one of those things where you have to do further study in. Like we learn a little bit. We don't learn a lot. Same deal with allergies and intolerances and same deal with sports nutrition. Like we studied at university. I did a three year bachelor degree and then I did a two year master's degree. Like it's a long time at university. And even then we still have to go on and study additional, you know, units and certificates and training in some of these extra areas. And fertility and pregnancy is one of these areas where um, I would really recommend you seek out a fertility and pregnancy friendly or specialist dietitian. So my first suggestion when you're overwhelmed, because I was very overwhelmed to start with as well, stop Googling nutrition info. Stop going down the rabbit hole of social media. Like it's all well and good, but make sure the information that you're getting is from a qualified dietitian who specializes in pregnancy and fertility. Not a mum who's had four kids, not your next door neighbor, not your colleague at work, not the health blogger who has 2 million followers and who has kids and released her own healthy pregnancy ebook an actual qualified dietitian, guys. And I feel like if you're listening to my podcast, you already know how important qualifications are. So I think the best way to reduce overwhelm is to follow properly qualified people. And they should all be saying the same thing, um, or relatively similar. And also check out my podcast. The one I did, it was number 100 and let me just find it. Podcast number 108 with Steph, who's a uh, fertility and pregnancy dietitian. That's an epic podcast. We talk about food safety and how to eat for pregnancy. Um, And also I could not stress enough. This is such an overwhelming time in your life, but you're also growing a life. Like this is one of the most important times in your life to get some nutrition advice. And if if budgeting is an issue like it is with so many people, I really, really appreciate that, that it's t- times are tough right now. You know, interest rates are through the roof. I get it. But instead of your family and friends showing you this huge baby shower and you getting 307 onesies and four, you know, bounces that do the same thing, ask them to just give you a little bit of money in a card and you can put that towards an appointment, just one appointment with a pregnancy specific dietitian. It's not like fat loss that can take, you know, months or years often just one or two appointments with a pregnancy specific dietitian can change your life. It can stop the overwhelm. You'll have a clear plan. You'll know exactly what to do and they'll give you some pointers along the way. So you can learn only so much from social media. And if you're already overwhelmed, I would say stop Googling, stop listening, stop going down that rabbit hole and ask your family and friends if your partner instead of having birthday presents and Valentine's Day presents and, you know, anniversary presents and Christmas presents this year, can everyone just put a, you know, a little bit of money into an envelope so I can use that money and go and book in with a dietitian to actually give me some properly balanced advice that's tailored to me. That is probably my number one suggestion is just to stop all the presents this year and ask them to put money towards you going and actually, you know, investing in your health and investing in the health of your baby because your baby's gut microbiome, that's being dictated right now by what you're taking in and the nutrition, the quality of your nutrition and some of your lifestyle factors as well. So it's absolutely a critical time that I probably couldn't highly stress enough that you really want to go and see a dietitian to make sure that you're on track and make sure you're getting in all of the essential nutrients that you need, not only in the first trimester, but the second and the third and even post, they call it the fourth trimester. Even that is so important to know how to nourish your body after you give birth as well. 
All right, second last question, guys. Question 13, how much protein a day is best? I literally had someone in my DMs this morning who was like, hey, Leanne, do you have any ideas of how I can get more protein in? And I was like, side note, my protein powder. But also she was like, I'm struggling to eat the 150 grams of protein my PT told me to eat. And I was like, oh, 150 grams. And I was like, just out of curiosity, how much do you weigh? 62 kilos. I was like, that is more than double her body weight. Of pro- it's so much protein, like 150 grams. I, I don't think I've ever prescribed a client 150 grams of protein ever, whether their goal was fat loss or muscle gain. Like it's just so much. So again, it's a loaded question because it depends on your goals. So if your goal is health, like you just want to be healthy and maintain health, 0.8 to one gram per kilo is recommended. So if you weigh 70 kilos, Max 70 kilos, that is fine. Like we're all protein obsessed. And of course, protein is important, but more isn't better. And I think we've just taken it a bit too far. If you're eating over well over 100 grams of protein, I don't know you, but I would hazard a guess that the majority of people doing that are probably overdoing it. For fat loss for my clients, I generally recommend about 1.2 grams per kilo. And if you're in a much larger body, say you're well over 100 kilos, I would be doing that 1.2 grams a kilo on the goal weight. So say you're 150 kilos and the goal is to get to 100, I would be recommending about sort of 100 grams of protein, 120 grams of protein for you. Um, You don't want to if you're in a larger body, you don't want to ha- you know, cal- do those calculations on your larger body weight. You sort of want to adjust yourself down for that healthier body weight that you're trying to achieve. And then if the goal is muscle gain, anywhere from kind of that 1.2 to 2, 2.5 kilograms can be appropriate. But again, the more protein you have, the more at risk you are of displacing other really important nutrients as well. But generally, if the goal is muscle gain, most people are eating in a surplus. So they have a lot more calories to play with. So they're able to get in adequate amounts of carbs and healthy fats and fiber and stuff as well. So I'm not really concerned when the goal is muscle or weight gain. It's actually harder to get in all of your nutrients when the goal is a calorie deficit. Yes, the protein is important, but you don't want to completely drop out the carbs. You don't want to completely drop out the healthy fats either. So I would say for the large majority of people listening to this podcast excuse me the goal is probably fat loss or maintaining or just generally being healthy so I think anywhere from about 0.8 to 1.2 grams per kilo is probably a good recommendation most days and don't stress if some days you're a little bit lower and some days you're a little bit higher Alrighty. Question 14, last one for the podcast because I can hear my kids running upstairs and I really should go up and cook them dinner. It's 5:40 p.m. on a Friday call it afternoon, call it night. I'm not quite sure. Um, so I really should go. So last question of the potty, do I recommend multivitamins or fish oils daily? Generally, no, if you have a good balanced diet. Um, I don't take either of them. I did take a prenatal with folate um, before pregnancy, during pregnancy, and up to about I think with me are about four or five months postpartum. I've just stopped taking that with Tilly now, so I don't take anything, but I also really enjoy salmon and I eat that probably two or three times a week. But if your diet's crap, I'd probably recommend you take a multivitamin. If you're a really picky eater, I'd probably recommend you have a multivitamin. If you, for whatever reason, have cut out an entire food group like you're doing 
keto or you're completely dairy-free, I would probably recommend you take a multivitamin or supplement with that food group that you've cut out, i.e. calcium, if you're not able to get it in in other sources. And in terms of fish oil, if you don't like seafood or salmon, like I have many clients that don't like it. I'm never going to force somebody to have something like salmon, even though it's one of my favorite foods and it's incredibly nutrient-dense. If you don't like it, you don't like it. If I force them to have it when they're working with me, the minute they stop working with me, they're probably going to stop taking it. So I'd rather create the habit of having them take an omega-3 supplement because they're really not eating much. You can get plant-based omega-3 from things like, you know, pumpkin seeds and walnuts and, and some of our other nuts and seeds, but the conversion back into omega-3 isn't quite known. So you do have to eat quite a lot. And particularly if the goal is fat loss and you're in a calorie deficit, if, if you don't eat seafood, it probably is recommended to take a little bit of an omega-3 supplement, but I can't really recommend brands or amounts or anything like that because it really depends on how much you do get in during your diet. So probably a better question for your dietitian. But I think if you're healthy and you have a relatively balanced diet, like I don't take either of them and I don't routinely recommend them to my clients. Like I would say, less than 5% of my clients are on a multivitamin. If they're pregnant, different story, the majority are. But if they're not, if they're just aiming for health or fat loss or better digestion or hormones, the majority do not take a multivitamin. And I'd probably say 25% of my clients take an omega-3 supplement because they have a preference. They're either allergic or they have a preference to not eat it, or they live a vegan lifestyle. And again, they have a preference not to eat it. All right, guys, I hope that that uh, helps you out. I hope that I was able to answer your question. I did get a lot and I do apologize. If you guys enjoyed the Q&A episode, leave me a review, let me know, and I will come back in maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months and do another Q&A episode for you. So I hope you like it. Let me know. Send me a DM on Instagram. Leave me a review in the Apple Purple Podcast uh, reviews, the app. And um, yeah, I will catch you guys in the very next podcast. I've got a really exciting one coming up, hopefully in the next couple of weeks for you guys so yeah i hope you have a wonderful start to january 2024 unless you're listening at some other time then completely disregard that comment and have a great night guys or have a great day whatever time you're listening